Welcome to the Toxic People Detox, a practical guide for finding peace in the midst of toxic people. It's not about changing them. It's about changing how you respond to them and doing so in a productive, healthy way. This is episode 51. And I have with me a guest, Foss Ruggiero. Foss Ruggiero's professional career spans almost 40 years and is diversified and compelling as it has consistently established new and exciting cutting-edge counseling programs in its pursuit of professional excellence and personal life enhancement. He is a published research author, clinical trainer, and therapist who has worked in settings that have included clinics for deaf children, prisons, nursing homes, substance abuse centers, inpatient facilities, and as the president of the Community Psychological Center in Bangor, Pennsylvania. In that capacity, he developed the Process of Way Counseling Program and has developed it into a formal text and the Fix Yourself Handbook. Welcome to this show, Mr. Faust. It's, Faust is fine. Uh, and, and Shelly, thanks for having me. You're quite welcome. Now, let's take a step back. Now, you've been in this 40 years. Mm-hmm. So let's go back before those 40 years. What's the process that led you to pretty much where you are today and to get into this space? You know, Shell, I was that kid in uh, high school that everybody came to when there was a problem. I think I'm just, I'm a good listener. And, and the advice I gave, I think was pretty good. So it was a natural for me to pursue this as I got older and, and went into college. So for me, it's just a natural fit. I think it's what I was born to do. Okay. What led up to writing your book once you got into the space? Okay, we're, we're here. And where did the book come from? Well, you know, we go through college and graduate school and we're taught all these different methods and things we should do uh, to counsel people. And as I got further into doing that, especially in my private practice, uh, I begin to include a few things, change a few things, throw a few things out. And what I found was that there are processes that people can use. We use them all every day in our lives, things like trust and setting boundaries and love and uh, all those kinds, communication, all those kinds of things. I started to realize that if I could put these into a program that people could understand and build one after the other, uh, they were they were starting to see uh, huge improvements in their lives. So as time went on, I developed that into the Process Away a Life program. And I've been using it for the last 20 years. So give me an example of, I mean, you don't have to give their name or identity, people you've helped. I mean, what are some of your favorite success stories? Oh, there's a lot of them. You know, there are different populations that have always attracted me, people that I really wanted to help. And I think abused women were always one that population was very close to my heart. So I'll give you a a simple, almost generic, it's so simple, but Mm -hmm. had a woman come in and had an abuse history growing up. As she uh, moved through her life, self-esteem wasn't there. She saw herself as a victim, someone no one would want, and got into uh, several relationships, the last of which was her marriage with a few kids. The abuse was still going, and it became physical. And uh, now I'm talking to her. To me, it looked very simple. It's something you've got to get out of, but she could not get herself to move away from this man. So we started using all the processes in order to to work with this. We talked about getting honest with herself. We talked about slowing down enough so she could see where what was going on and what was really happening. We started taking her emotions and moving them to the side just a little bit, enough that we can get her intellect into the picture. Then we started looking at how we Mm -hmm. set boundaries and communicate differently. 
Okay, so if I'm hearing you correctly, if I'm in your practice and I'm having these issues, you're saying getting honest with myself. So what's that first process, that first thing you would have me do? First thing I'm going to do is what I call taking life off autopilot. It's where, you know, we just have that routine. It's running all the time. In any good counseling program, we need to establish where the person is at that particular time when they come in, as well as what, you know, the the, the, uh, circumstances that go into that. But if I can get them to just stop the routine for a moment and let's look at it, that's that's where that first choice to do something with my life comes from. Then I'm going to go into let's get really honest with ourselves here and let's see what's going on. And that brutal honesty, is, which is what I call it, that's the tough one for most people. Yeah, I can imagine. And so you, have you gotten a lot of pushback when you try this or are people more receptive? You get pushback initially because we all believe we're honest people. And it's not to say that we aren't. It's I just think there are levels of honesty. In the book, I liken it to peeling an onion. That first level, that, that's the paper. That's kind of easy to come off. But as you go deeper, the discomfort comes and the tears begin and you start facing what's really there. When you get to that point and people are willing to go out at least little by little and, and shave a few layers here and there and get to what's really uh, going on, that's that first step. That's the one that's the big one for me. Right. Okay. So since you mentioned your book, let's go ahead and talk about this. Now, in our communication, I said I was particularly interested in two of your chapters. Uh, Chapter 19 is deciding who and what enters your life. And you say you are the guardian of your mind, your body, your heart, and your soul. Only you have the power to decide who and what may enter your world. I'm with you. I'm, I'm there. But someone could come up to me and say, well, who are you to decide whether I get to enter your life or not? Doesn't that seem kind of arrogant? How would you respond to that? I, I tell people that uh, your life is special to you. It's your life. And you want to have control over that. You don't have to be mean to anyone, but there should be criteria. We all should have criteria in our lives which tell us what a person should have and not have in order to get close to us. They should communicate well or they should treat us nicely or, or reciprocate when, when we're in service of them, those kinds of things. Um, you know, we, we should have that pretty well set in our minds. And then if those people that come into our lives, you know, they qualify, great. We can, get, we, we can at least make the steps to begin including them and getting a little closer. But if they don't even get to that point, we may want to think about whether or not we want them to, to come close. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I, I agree. I think a lot of times when people are violating boundaries and they're hurting us, it's because we probably didn't use that that gateway in the beginning. We, we probably didn't say that person belongs or doesn't belong. Our boundaries are a little blurred and people will cross them quickly. Oh, yes. I've had that experience. We all have. So at what stage in life do people really come to that realization if they ever do? Like, I need to set these boundaries. So in your practice? Usually people will get to me when things have become critical, which is typical for, I think, for most counseling situations. Unless you're a client, person with a counseling background, you know when to identify when you're going off track a bit. Most people will come in when things are no longer functioning properly. It's almost at the crisis point, And then they want to fix. And of course, by that point, we usually have a lot of work to do. Right. And what would you say just offhand? What's, your, what's the success rate? I mean, when things are falling apart, what percentage of these people can actually pull it back together? Well, I think it relies on two components. One is their willingness to do the work. And the other one, quite frankly, is on our end. Are we skilled enough? And are we understanding what they're saying so that we can help them put together a program that they're going to be able to embrace and continue to work? So if both those components are 
are on track. I think the success rate's very good. At least for me, it is. I work hard with my people. I also try to make uh, my counseling sessions an enjoyable time because I want them to, uh, I think change should be something that you should enjoy making in your life. Uh, it's hard in the beginning, but once you get that going, yeah, I think it's something that you should look forward to. So it's really a marriage between the counselor and the person coming in for counseling. I got you. And basically the people where they can't pull it together, it's basically the opposite of everything you just said. They mm-hmm. just didn't want to do the work. That That's usually the issue. All right. You know, you can always fix the problem, but some problems require more work. Some of them have gone on longer. I can go back to that woman who was being abused. You know, if it's she's being pushed around or she's just, you know, that initial physical stuff, that's one thing. But when it gets deep into it and the person is in danger, then we're in a whole different place. Then, you know, then we have to sometimes it's just extracting them from the family if we can. And, you know, those are very hard decisions to make. Right. So you're talking about situations that uh, this person's in physical danger. Mm-hmm. And what if they have children involved? How do you deal with that type of situation? Again, those are the complicating factors. It depends a lot of times on where the children are in this whole thing. Are they very young? Are they teenagers? Are they ready to leave the house? And if they're involved in physical abuse or they're watching it, then I'm telling people staying there isn't going to fix the problem. You're not going to work through this where the person who's abusing you and those children get to see that. And either they can become people who abuse or on the other hand, they can become people who are very tolerant of that abuse. And those people walk into those situations all over again because they perceive some norms there that shouldn't exist. Mm, Okay. The other chapter I wanted to focus on, chapter 22, it is titled People Pleasing in Emotional Survival. Mm -hmm. So you say, stop paying attention to what others say you need to be. Have faith and embrace the person you are. You have everything you need. You only need to learn how to champion. Okay. So I've got two scenarios for you. As a professor... Uh, My background is biology, so I teach biology majors for the most part. But every now and then, you know, I'll get those students who have no intention of doing anything with biology, that they don't really care. And I say, then why are you majoring in this? And they said, because my parents want me to. I I don't want to be a doctor. I want to be, you know, X, Y, and Z. So what would you say to someone in that situation? That's where I go a little bit in depth and I make sure that what the student is telling me, because I get a lot of that stuff, I ask them, do you not want to go into biology or do you not want to do the work involved with biology? It's the same as counseling. You know, do you want to do the work? If, mm-hmm. if you don't like biology, because this is not the major I ever wanted to be in. My father's a doctor or, or my mother's a biologist or whatever it may be. And they're pushing me into this. That's one thing. But if you're, if you can be a, a good doctor or a good biologist and you think you like it, but you just don't like all those late nights, uh, you know, burning candlelight rather than, uh, uh, you know, going to parties. Well, that's a different story. So I want to establish that first. If in fact, Mm -hmm. real, they don't want to go there, then, you know, we're going to teach some communication skills and we're going to get them to talk to to parents. What I always say is don't just go in and say, I don't want to do this. And that's all go in with it, with the plan you want. Let's talk about what you do want and let's see how you can go and sit down with your parents and say, this is my plan. Not only this is what I want or I just this is just what I don't want. What's your plan? If parents can see that you have a viable plan or at least the beginnings of a viable plan, they're usually a little bit more willing to listen to you. I got it. So, you know, some of these parents just want what's best for their child. It's not like they mean to impose. But let's take that second scenario where this was actually a listener of mine. And she was saying that she has this type of mother 
who says, I've spent 18 years of your life raising you. Now you owe me. So the daughter goes out and buys the car and the, and the mother wants to take the car over. And is like, no, this is my car. So how do you deal with a situation like that? And, and when I have those in my practice now, I try to get mom and daughter into the office and start the dialogue. Because mm-hmm. um, obviously the dialogue is not working at home. Or had someone that's not involved, emotionally involved in the situation that can direct the conversation into some new and more productive places is obviously being called for here. So I, I'll say, get your mom in here. If most of the time, moms are in, in those situations are willing to come. And then we'll start that dialogue and we'll we'll look at something. Sounds like in that situation, mom is a little bit uh, a tough one. She's not backing down and daughter is maybe rebelling just a little bit. We want to get those things out of the way and establish some common ground. Yeah. And we're talking about someone who's probably in her early 30s or something like that. So clearly an adult. So a part of what you say is, quote, it soon turns into a survival mechanism, talking about, you know, trying to people please. When those we we are so desperately trying to appease lose respect for us as we attempt to please them in spite of their continued degradation, end quote. So I'm, I'm curious. So if I'm trying to please person X over here, and I'm doing everything I'm supposed to, to the detriment of my physical health, my mental health. Where does that disrespect come in if, if I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do? Because that person realizes the dynamic is that the person who you're trying to per- people please is not returning the gesture. Therefore, is a person who looks at you and says, well, you're willing to do anything for me, regardless of how bad I treat you. And often the worse I treat you, the harder you try to make things right. They'll never respect us mm. if we're doing that because the response is inappropriate. We should be saying, well, look, if you're not going to be willing to do this for me, why am I doing this for you? And if you're going to mistreat me, why am I staying here? I'm willing to be victimized. So now what happens is that person, again, will will uh, continue to abuse and abuse a little more. Now you're people pleasing just not to get the negative response, be that verbal or physical. You're, now you're just trying to avoid those consequences. And that's when it gets really serious. Yeah. Basically, it's what you said before, just having a dialogue, being brutally honest with yourself. And I think we just think that this person's going to turn a new leaf. I I can love you into this situation. I can change you, that type of thing. Well, that's where I go back to that brutal honesty. If you're being honest with yourself, you should realize you're not going to change this person. If if you're working with the facts, you're not going to come home and say, well, gee, you know, my husband just had a bad day or, or... this is the kind of things I hear. Or you really don't know him. He's a real nice guy, but he just gets some, into some you know, bad times. They make all different kinds of excuses, and that keeps the people pleasing going. And if we're able to get honest and say, this person is never going to do this, no matter what I do, they continue doing what they're doing. What the victims of abuse are trying to avoid is that end time, which is I may have to leave this, and I don't know where to go and who would want me. So they try yeah. to change. You know, I was so just about to go there. Yeah, they change. They try to change what's familiar. So well, look, let's pick up on that. I'm in this situation and I'm thinking no one's going to want me. Who's going to want me? So what do you say to that? person? Well, uh-huh. what I tell them, is the first person that has to want you is you. You know, right. everything we have is inside us. We, we, le- we have to learn how to use that. But it, and one of those things we have to do is to be able to learn to like ourselves. And if we're going to hope to get that from someone who is abusing us. Well, that's a very fragile way to live life and very rarely ever works out. So, you know, what I'm saying to them is we have to start looking at your positives, playing to your strengths. You have to like you. 
then someone out there may like you. And in, But even better, I'd like to get them to the point where they, they're not relying on the need for someone out there to make them feel better. The goal is to be able to do that yourself. Set goals for yourself. Do things that, that make you feel good. And you're not, you're not going to get that from someone who doesn't like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to like yourself, I think. So that's always my first my first course of action. And um, I've never had a person, honestly, who, when we go through the process, didn't come to like themselves better. Some have left, some have, you know, some have stayed, but they do start to realize that there's a person in there to like, and that can go both ways. They could take that and run with it, or they can say, I'm going to hide that because quite frankly, if they show that to the abuser, we know the abuser abuses more. So they'll hide it. That's another reason why people don't leave because there are consequences. Mm. Okay, so I think you kind of inadvertently ask uh, answer my next question. It's like, what are some steps people can take right now to fix their life? You know, something that you can give to my listeners. The first thing I would tell people is get into a counseling program. I tell this to people all the time. When, when you're getting into situations uh, where you're talking about boundary, boundaries and, and toxic people, it's often hard to separate fact from fiction. And go sit down with mm-hmm. someone you may you may enter into something that's long term and really fix things, or you may go at least to open the whole situation up and get some facts and make some decisions about which way you want to go with it. But I just think you need a, a new set of eyes on, on the situation. Uh, let someone else look at what you have with you, who's not a family member or a friend or someone like that who can get emotionally involved, who can just sit down, go over the facts with you and say, well, based on all this, this looks like the picture we have. Now, what would you like to do about it? Hmm. Okay, then. To wrap up, where and how can people find you? On the internet, I have a, a website. It's my name, FaustRogero.com. They can also type in Fix Yourself Handbook and it would lead there. On The website is dedicated primarily to the book. So everything, chapter outlines, everything in the world you want to find uh, about the book is there. And there is a contact page also. And they can contact me there. And I'm pretty good about getting back to people. All right, then I will give you the final word. What is the big takeaway you want people to know? And which I think I know what it is, but go for it. To me, it's an easy one. I, I tell people, every again, everything you have to be happy and productive and live a, a really nice life is already inside you. It's been moved aside or it's been pushed down for a variety of different reasons. Going inside and getting all those things is a very doable thing. And that's what you really want to focus on, not getting something from external sources and from other people, learning how to go inside yourself, find what's in there and learn how to make all the processes in your life support you and you will be happy. 